Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Let's get this holiday season underway. We got some cheer on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange this morning. It is Kids Day at the big board, the first one since 2019. Great, great to have them back. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Morgan Brennan. Jim Cramer has the morning off today. It's been a good Thanksgiving week for markets so far. Futures trying to hold in on this Black Friday. A short session for stocks, as Becky said. We close at 1 p.m. Eastern. Our roadmap begins with retail's big push. Black Friday weekend taking on additional importance this year as inflation continues to weigh on consumers. Plus, China's growing COVID concerns, record cases, renewed lockdowns, and no signs of budging from that zero COVID policy. And shares of Activision Blizzard sliding ahead of the open. Reports that the FTC is now set to sue to block Microsoft's $69 billion acquisition plan. Let's begin with Black Friday taking center stage. The nation's retailers hoping that consumers will give them a big boost despite inflation. We're staying on top of all the action across the country, including at the giant Mall of America in Minnesota. Two locations on New York's Long Island, Hangar Outlets in Deer Park, Roosevelt Field Mall in Garden City. It's actually a lot of retail news this morning, guys, and some trends that are developing. One of them uh, is that the deals that we normally look for beginning today have already been in place for a few weeks. It's going to be curious to see what the numbers actually get posted for the entire for this holiday season for the quarter uh, look like come January because we have seen that pull forward. And I think back to Amazon putting forth its first uh, time ever, a second prime day ahead of the holidays and the fact that you did see that deep discounting. We have known that there are some retailers out there that uh, are awash in inventories. The question, David, I think is going to be those retailers that maybe haven't managed inventories as well coming into this holiday season, uh, are they going to have to discount even further given the fact that you did see that consumer pull forward? Yeah, uh, that's been a, a key question. Obviously, it's one that we've reviewed a number of times as many of the big retailers reported earnings. Mixed to a good overall earnings picture, frankly, uh, from the third quarter at least for many of those retailers. But obviously, this is a key time and including for Amazon. Another side of this you know, there are still predictions we're going to have fairly significant gains in online. But, of course, we do have people returning to stores in a way that we have not seen for the last two years. So unclear exactly how that's going to play out. Adobe's got a lot of data to sift through this morning, uh, namely where the discounts are deepest and toys. Uh, peak discounts already in the 30% range. That's going to get interesting in the next few weeks. Oh, I'm watching that one closely, <laughs> <laughs> unsurprisingly. Yeah. Uh, also thought it was interesting just looking at, I mean, every every holiday season, you see the seasonal trade uh, among the retail names in general, where uh, as a group, they tend to trade higher coming into the holidays. That seems to be playing out as well. I mean, the XRT, the, the retail ETF uh, is up 
this week. It's up uh, two and a half percent this week. It's up something like 18 percent for the quarter. But if you look at this week where you've seen some of the biggest moves, it's actually been to your point. Some of those mall retailers, uh, names like Bath and Body Works, which I think is trading higher this morning in the pre-market. Abercrombie Fitch, uh, Burlington Stores, American Eagle uh, and also Ross Stores have seen some pretty big gains because I think there's this expectation that folks are getting out in person to do a little more shopping. But again, it goes back to some of the commentary, David, that we've heard uh, in some of these recent earnings about are people actually buying versus just walking through the stores and checking things out. Right. Although not the doorbuster days may be behind us, apparently. People didn't want to be showing up at 4 a.m. Um, the crowds, the c concern about physical danger. And so to Carl's point, many of the retailers have sort of offered their bargain, so to speak, over a longer period of time. Yeah, a lot of old habits got broken uh, by COVID, and we'll see how much will get reset. Um, for more on the retail landscape on this Black Friday, let's bring in CNBC.com's Melissa Repko. Uh, Melissa, talk a bit about how big this particular weekend is and how uh, Black Friday as a phenomenon has evolved over the years now. Even before we saw the pandemic change people's shopping behaviors, we were really seeing a lot of de-emphasis on those lines that we traditionally associate with Black Friday. You know, people have been spreading out their shopping. This year, there's a little bit of a reversal as people do hunt for deals, and that's drawing them to the malls, drawing them to big box stores, because they really want the bargains. And sometimes they associate that with touching and feeling those items in person. I had to take note of what Terry Lundgren uh, told Squawk this morning. He was asked about, you know, where the money's coming from that's driving consumer demand. And he said, there is money to spend. It's dwindling. And it's dwindling fast, but it will get spent this season. I do wonder how we're going to talk about the consumer once the holidays flush through and, and we're left with maybe a, a dimmer picture in Q1. Yes, Carl, that's a good point that Terry made. I think that's something that's top of mind for a lot of retail executives. Best Buy CEO Corey Berry was among the many who have spoken about how you know credit card balances are going up and savings accounts are going down. And so that does raise some questions about how even if people do show up and spend a lot this holiday season, what does that mean when they get that credit card statement come January, come February? Does that then make for a tougher start to 2023? Uh, Melissa, I, I just want to go back to some of the commentary we have gotten from retailers in the past week and a half or so. Uh, it kind of started with Macy's, and we've heard others kind of follow suit this idea that Maybe some of the shopping activity started to fall off uh, at the end of last quarter or even the beginning of this quarter. Is the expectation that we're going to see a surge again now, or is it really just that, going back to the conversation we had before, uh, it is more spread out and there has been some pull forward? I mean, when are we going to know which one it is in terms of the shopping dynamic of consumers? It'll take a few weeks to know for sure. But to your point, you know, there has been a number of retailers that have called out a lull, Macy's being one, Nordstrom being another, Gap being another, that talked about seeing softer sales in the back half of October into early November. And the question is, does that mean that consumers are tightening their belt across the board? Or does that mean they're just reverting back to more of the pre-pandemic holiday timeline where they're shopping for gifts? closer to Christmas, you know, they kind of turn out starting today going into Cyber Monday, and then they feel more anticipation building going into Christmas, perhaps, you know, being more in that holiday spirit. Or does it mean that people are just going to be buying less this year? And so I think it's going to take a few more weeks for us to really know, because even if they really show up strongly in the coming days, that may just mean they're looking for bargains, and then there could be another lull and a deeper lull before Christmas. 
Finally, we're going to keep an eye on some of the more distressed uh, retailers. Uh, this journal piece on Bed Bath, uh, looking at uh, some data that suggests they're having trouble keeping uh, inventory stock, in some cases uh, down some 40 percent, as they obviously are having uh, ongoing issues with their, with their suppliers. Carl, that's something that's really troubled Bed Bath & Beyond. They have talked about how they are working on those relationships with suppliers, but a lot of the brand names like the Dysons, they do hold the power. They can choose where to send those goods and they may not feel comfortable sending them to Bed Bath & Beyond if they don't feel they'll get paid. So they may instead send some of those much wanted items to a Target or a Walmart or another store instead. And that really matters in this environment where retailers have to execute and they really have to push consumers to spend. Home goods is already a category where people had been pulling back. And so having that fresh merchandise, those brand names really matter and will make a difference for Bed Bath and & Beyond and, and will help them get through this tough period or not so much. Yeah, we're going to watch for those uh, shifts in share and see who, be who potentially benefits uh, on the back end of that. Melissa, thanks. We'll talk soon, I'm sure. Melissa Repko. Thank you. Dot com. All right, let's move on to China now, which has been a key story as this week has moved along. The country continues to tighten COVID curbs. This amidst an outbreak of infections. Eunice Yoon is in Beijing and she has the latest for us. Eunice. Thanks, David. Well, the reported case count for the country is now close to 33,000. The leadership appears to be tolerating this higher this higher number of infections, which is um, topping the uh, number of infections that we saw when Shanghai went into its brutal lockdown back in April. But the leadership appears to be uh, tolerating it in line with its uh, what it describes as its more precise zero COVID strategy. However, unofficially, uh, we are definitely seeing more lockdowns, uh, quarantines and um, and shutdowns of businesses, which are much more frequent and inconsistent um, in the uh, Chinese um, iPhone city of Zhengzhou. Uh, that city is now in lockdown until Tuesday. Um, this comes after a violent protest had erupted at the Foxconn facility there that's responsible for uh, the 70 uh, percent of uh, glo global iPhone production, including uh, for the models, um, the iPhone 14 models. Uh, Foxconn has apologized for what it described as a technical error in worker pay, which appeared to trigger the dispute, at least in part. And Foxconn offers about $1,400 for uh, recruits that are departing. Apple has sent in staff and says that it's working with Foxconn in order to try to work out some of these employee issues. Uh, but there is a big question as to whether or not Foxconn is going to be able to meet its internal goal to have that facility up and running by the end of the month. Now, the tightening COVID curbs have been sparking fears of citywide shutdowns um, in Beijing, as well as in Guangzhou, um, in Guangzhou, the big export hub, um, that city has um, outright denied that there's going to be a lockdown or even what it's described as a silent period. So kind of a slowing down of the entire city. But um, because city officials, including in Shanghai, have said that before and denied citywide lockdowns, um, and then, of course, uh, follow through with a citywide lockdown. Um, people, the residents there are, are, are quite nervous, as well as over here. In fact, uh, here in Beijing, there's been a bit of a pushback to all of these inconsistent uh, lockdowns and snap decisions to, to quarantine people. Um, in fact, uh, communities have been organizing uh, what they've described as connected dragon packs, where they um, agree as a group to push back against government authorities that might want to take them away 
um, in case there's a case in their building. They say that they're going to stand by their uh, neighbors. Uh, still a big question as to whether or not um, these agreements will actually um, have any effect. But the idea is that residents are organizing to try to um, push back against government authorities by uh, forcing them to abide by Chinese regulations. Guys? So when I hear you talk about that, when I hear you reporting on the iPhone city, is the sense that there is a growing anger or unease as you start to see things like these protests in the iPhone city erupt? Is it towards, in that particular case, the companies involved, or is this really more broad-based towards, say, the government? Well, for in Foxconn case, in Foxconn's case, there is anger directed towards the company itself. Um, there have been a lot of workers who've complained online, um, and just in, in reporting that they feel that the a company has not been making good on some of their promises in the for um, worker pay, as as well as some of the extra bonuses to go and work at that facility. Also, there's been a very low level of understanding of of the virus and a lot of fear that the virus is um, all over the, the facility. Um, the Foxconn has says that that's not the case, that they've disinfected things and it's, it's fine. But um, because the messaging here in China has been very consistent that uh, the virus is extremely dangerous, and this is something that we've been hearing for the past three years, that people are terrified of getting the virus over there. So, but, but elsewhere, the anger has been directed um, not so much at, at individual companies, but more at the government and at government um, authorities. So sometimes it's on the local level, sometimes it's higher up. What's been interesting is also um, that the World Cup has been raising a lot of these questions. A lot of people have been watching the World Cup and stuck in their homes, and they see that, that a lot of people are unmasked. And people have been asking questions online, saying, why, are, why, is, why is it that nobody's wearing masks? Um, don't we live on the same planet as all these other countries? And um, actually, what's been interesting is that the state media has now been blurring the audience um, for some of those matches so that uh, the people here can't see that people outside of China are not wearing masks. We talked about that a bit last week, Eunice, um, the degree to which they were getting a window on the rest of the world. And the World Cup is a big window. That's remarkable that they would take steps like that. Uh, Eunice, we'll talk more in a bit, I'm sure. Uh, Eunice Yoon joining us from Beijing. When we come back, a lot more of our Black Friday coverage, including what the data are now telling us about the consumer, which retailers are benefiting from those numbers. Take a look at the pre-market here. We're going to watch some other things. Not a lot of data today, but we'll get Fed balance sheet and we'll watch yields, dollar index up just a touch as futures are just south of the flat line. Don't go away. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM. 
a leading global asset manager. Welcome back on this Black Friday. Who's winning over consumers, whether it's brick and mortar or online? Christina Partsonevelis is following the data. She has the breakdown for us. Hi, Christina. Well, right now we are seeing $1.3 million in sales per minute. That's how much over 3 million people around the globe are spending on Black Friday this morning. This is according to Shopify data. So, again, that's 1.5 million, 3 million people. Of course, a lot of the stores haven't opened yet, so that's going to increase. But according to Salesforce, the average online sales, and we're going to just keep rolling with that script over there. The discount rate was actually 26% globally. That's actually 3% higher than last year, and it's even bigger discounts. So there's even bigger discounts here in the United States. Retailers are, of course, getting rid of that excess inventory, and shoppers have waited a little longer to start buying this year versus last year because we had concerns about shortages and shipping delays. But we've got retail analysts on the ground, and they're reporting back to us right now. Captivai tells us that gift cards are making a comeback today with searches rising 427% year over year as people look for cash back and credit on their purchases. Now for the investors that are listening, we pulled some data and looked at the performance of the S&P 500 and retail-related ETFs from November 1st to New Year's Eve over the past five years, because that's the typical holiday season. And the average return for the S&P 500 during that time frame was just over 4%. But when you Compare it to the Amplify online retail ETF, which is the iBuy. You can see that that was only up 3%. And then lastly, XRT, the biggest winner of the group over here. So that's XRT because we don't have it on the screen. 6.6% during that same time frame. And some of those individual names that we are talking about would be uh, you've got Look at that. Franchise Group, which owns Vitamin Group, as well as uh, Pet Supplies Plus and a few other furniture stores. Then Boot Barn, all during that same two-month time frame, uh, up 30%. Guess was up there, up 28%, followed by Nordstrom uh, as well. And these are some of the uh, stronger names just uh, over the last little while. But we can see that shoppers are heading out. However, there is a delay uh, compared to last year, or last two years, I should say. We're not done. We're going to get to Ulta next exactly. week. Exactly. It's early. It's 9.18 a.m. Yeah. Eastern. <laughs> Stock slayers. I see what you did there. Oh, Very you clever. liked it. I didn't say it, but I I, did. We, were, we were proud of I that did. one up there. We, we love alliterations. Maybe not Slay. everybody does, but we do. Or I do. Christina. Thanks, Christina. Bye. When we come back, uh, the big box uh, retailers hoping for a Black Friday boost. We'll get a live report from the ground. Take a look at futures as we'll start this shortened session for stocks in just about 11 minutes. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. As bargain hunters hit the stores on this Black Friday, there's a lot at stake for the big box retailers. Let's get to Bertha Coombs, who is at a Target store in Fairfield, New Jersey. Morning, Bertha. 
Hey, good morning, Carl. You know, both Target and Walmart have talked about their consumers being pressured by inflation and less apt to spend on discretionary items. But tis the season for discretionary spending. And while they're trying to coax them into these stores, they didn't open all that early. This Target opened at 7, Walmart opened about 6. But not with those big doorbusters that we saw in the past that prompted people to come in that first hour. The question is whether they can coax consumers to loosen the purse strings this Black Friday weekend. Critical for Target especially, which has already said it's had to discount inventory heavily in recent months. According to SEMrush data, consumers have been looking for Black Friday sales. And when they looked online, Walmart got the most traffic online. Target came up last behind the big box retail including Amazon. Now, analysts at Evercore this morning say that all of the major retailers are starting to see more of an uptick on online traffic coming into this weekend. And a number of analysts do expect to see more people in store this weekend. But in some ways, guys, it's like we're back to normal before the pandemic when stores and consumers are playing that game of chicken to see just how long as a retailer, you can wait before you really have to discount things and consumers waiting them out. They're four weeks till Christmas, so they've got time. Back to you. So, Bertha, I see a few folks behind you, but to your point, I mean, it doesn't look like it's brimming with people, at least uh, at this early hour yet. Uh, that being said, the folks, the shoppers that are there, what are they buying? Are there certain specific types of items that you're seeing trends uh, in terms of demand for? You know, the Sort of the biggest holiday items I've seen so far, a handful of folks buying electronics, buying, uh, you know, kitchen appliances. Those are some of the most heavily discounted items. In terms of shopping for clothing and things like that, I spoke with one family where they said, hey, you know, we we went to Walmart when they opened at 6 a.m. and we got here at 7 a.m. when they opened and we didn't see those bargains in terms of clothing and things like that that they were looking for. So they're actually waiting. Uh, meanwhile, Bertha, there's been some reporting about, you know, the holiday seasonal hiring we tend to get at the major retailers, not quite as robust in past years. Is there a sense that staffing is appropriate for the crowds or not? Well, given the fact that we're not seeing that sort of craziness, at least at this hour here in the first few hours of the morning, the staffing seems appropriate. And in some cases, it almost feels like there's more staff than there are shoppers now (laughs) that things have sort of died down from that first morning rush. But, you know, a lot of folks may be sleeping in after a late night and lots of football. So we'll see what happens as uh, the day progresses. Yeah, uh, it it is a long day ahead, and and there was some good football yesterday. Bertha, thanks. We'll talk later. Bertha Coombs in Fairfield, New Jersey this morning. Take a look at futures here as we get this uh, session started. Again, abbreviated as the opening bell is coming up in about five minutes. One of the joys of uh, putting COVID behind us the best we can is uh, returning to old traditions here at the New York Stock Exchange. And today, it is Kids Day. Pretty good turnout, I would have to say. Uh, Santa is going to make an appearance. There's food and drink. You can make your way. I don't know. They can make a trade, maybe, if they want. Go to Post 8 and (laughs) and make a market in a stock. There's a smorgasbord to be had. This This is a great tradition. It's really wonderful to see this back in action again on a day like today. Yeah.
Uh, very nice. Uh, interesting, too, given that we've just talked about some of the restrictions in China, uh, we obviously have made a lot more progress in this country, whether it's about travel or going to the movies or shows or even things like this. So we're glad to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's worth noting, though, given the fact that you are seeing some of those headlines in China, some of the headlines out of here, too, with different viruses running rampant because it is the holiday season, people are traveling more, that this morning, pre-market, you are seeing names like Echolab and Quest Diagnostics trade higher, too. I think some of these healthcare names that we've talked about back in the pandemic as well. Yeah. Uh, and to, to the uh, story regarding China, of course, we heard from Eunice, and we will again later in the program, uh, Alibaba shares, which often are used as sort of the proxy for what's going on there, are going to be down another, let's call it two, three, maybe more, four percent this morning uh, when we get started trading 40 seconds from now. Yeah. As for the week so far, um, Thanksgiving week is usually strong uh, for equities. Yeah. But through Wednesday, we're up about one and a half percent, which the spoke says would be the 13th best Thanksgiving week since 1945. Uh, so the melt up has been taking place as you've gotten yields a little bit lower. Uh, I think it's uh, JP Morgan yesterday looking for better demand for global bonds in 2023 as supply uh, rises faster than demand, which might bring some relief to us. We the opening bell and the CNBC real time exchange and the big board. It's American Express celebrating Small Business Saturday. And of the NASDAQ, uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams also celebrating Small Business Saturday. That's uh, a franchise that Amex got going long ago uh, to compete with Black Friday. Uh, another shopping day. More data to add to uh, the pile that we're continuing to assess as we glean more detail around the health of the consumer and what is still a very high inflation, high inflation environment. And certainly worth noting that I would imagine it's not just investors and market participants that are watching and economists that are watching these numbers so closely, but also the Fed, given the fact that we have seen some softer data this week. We did get those minutes suggesting uh, that a number of officials are looking to step down the size of the rate hike uh, come next month. But of course, data is going to be everything. Yeah, minutes were really interesting. Uh, kind of got... Uh, didn't get a lot of attention given that it was the day before Thanksgiving, but they talked about various, quote, various participants believing that the terminal rate would eventually have to be a bit higher than they previously thought. Normally, the, the Fed says many or few participants, so that's going to leave us uh, scratching our heads. By the way, next week, the, the data flow will resume. We're going to get jobs Friday, uh, PCE on Thursday, jolts on Wednesday. Powell's going to speak at Brookings on Wednesday, so... Uh, the picture regarding the Fed's going to fill in in the next uh, five or six sessions. Yeah, it's going to be a very busy December. And then, of course, uh, you're going to get another CPI report just as the Fed is meeting ahead of that policy decision as well. In the meantime, just taking a look at the major averages, we are down uh, a bit this morning. To your point, it is one of the lighter trading weeks uh, of the year. Uh, it certainly doesn't take very much to move it one way or the other because volumes tend to be a little bit lighter. But the Dow is slightly higher right now. The S&P is basically trading at the flat line. Uh, it is above 4,000, continues to hang above 4,000, 4024 there. And then the Nasdaq is the underperformer. It's down half a percent because tech stocks uh, largely are under pressure. Yeah, today. a couple of stories that were out late Wednesday that we are uh, seeing some impact. Uh, the one we mentioned at the top of the uh, program is a Politico story involving Microsoft. Of course, remember, it was January 18th of this year when Microsoft announced its intent to acquire Activision, $95 a share in cash. And Politico uh, on 
Wednesday, later in the day, uh, had a headline that basically said the FTC likely to file an antitrust lawsuit to block that. Now, they were citing three people with knowledge of the matter. You know, again, uh, you, you I want to caution people. We'll see. Uh, certainly no shortage of those who believe from the very beginning that this deal was going to have some significant impediments when it came to regulatory review, not just here in the United States, by the way, but uh, as well uh, in Europe uh, with the EU and even in China, uh, the CMA. Obviously, the stock you want to look at is Activision. You'll see it right here, uh, which is down about three and a half percent. But the point is that it has been tra trading well below the $95 a share cash offer from the very beginning. Uh, for, uh, as you can see, Activision shares had been once higher than that, but certainly have not been anywhere near it once they announced uh, the transaction. Um, Sony has been uh, very aggressive uh, in terms of pressing its case in the EU, and that's kind of going to be first on the calendar here in terms of what they can potentially work out. Can they get the EU done? Uh, can they make certain uh, remedies, uh, for example, perhaps saying, all right, we'll make sure Call of Duty is available on the Sony PlayStation for at least a 10-year period after the deal closes? Would something like that suffice to uh, satisfy U.S. regulators here at the FTC? Again, unclear, but there has been another um, sort of theme involving this, which has been that even if this deal were to break, you would not see a significant sell-off in shares of activism. And obviously, as I pointed out, it's been trading well below the 95 almost throughout. But the idea being that Call of Duty, that franchise, which was having a bit of a hiccup, has rebounded nicely. Uh, and that CEO Bobby Kotick, who was in the midst of some difficulties at his company, if you recall, um, has sort of outrun those uh, and may very well be happy to both be CEO and sort of not dealing with the distractions that he was in terms of internal uh, problems uh, at, at Activision. We'll see if, in fact, the deal were to break. You'd still have selling pressure from risk arbitrageurs and the like, but um, we're keeping an eye on it as we move into December. What's interesting is the stock was upgraded by Baird on Wednesday, was upgraded by MKM last week, was upgraded by Ray J on the 10th. Interesting. When you don't often see sell-side analysts change ratings on names awaiting a big deal. No, you so don't. So I wonder if there's a sense that this we're going to have to at least game out what happens if it doesn't, doesn't happen. And I think some of that is based on the fact that there is a belief that, again, were the deal to break, were there to be a mutual termination, for example, that you simply would not see the downside in Activision, some even arguing perhaps you would actually get a, a rating a bit higher. Um, that said, we've seen recent weakness from Take-Two, so the peer group has not been performing particularly no. well. But there is a sense that sort of things have kind of calmed and, in, and in fact, improved over the last... 10 months at Activision during this period. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, the video game industry, it would seem, is at risk of posting its first annual sales decline in at least a decade. We've had commentary from some of these video game publishers in their recent earnings, uh, basically suggesting that you're not going to see some big blockbuster releases that would be expected during the holiday season in years past as well. Uh, so certainly there's a, a bigger, broader dynamic playing out for the video game industry. Also really noteworthy, though, about the Microsoft piece of this deal puzzle, because that had been seen, at least until more recently, uh, as the name that would be potentially immune to tight deal-making scrutiny because of its own history of uh, being looked at by regulators in decades past versus some of the other big tech names. So the fact that you are seeing the scrutiny for what would be a vertical integration um, 
kind of speaks to, I guess, the administration's take on deal making across industries writ large. Right? Yeah, it's I mean, there are many who would question whether there is, in fact, or should be a case made. But in this environment, it's not all. It, it seems less often that the case being made is necessarily based on the underlying law uh, as much as it may be on just simply not allowing the big to get bigger, even if, in fact, it didn't necessarily pose a true anti-competitive uh, implication. I mean, in this one, you're talking about protecting Sony, essentially, and saying, all right, well, you know, what could Microsoft do to shut Sony off from certain titles that it would then control because it would want to advantage its Xbox service? I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, but you, we'll, you know, we'll, uh, especially as we get into closer to the end of the year, we will start to get some answers here. Right. You think it puts the ice on uh, mega cap tech M&A in general or at least cools hopes for better activity? You, you know, if they come after them, I don't know, Carl. It's funny. I, I, what I hear actually is uh, from bankers and lawyers who, who work on these potential deals is surprise on their part of the level of activity so far. Not that you're seeing, not public announcements, but the willingness of CEOs, even I'm her, I've, I've heard of fairly large companies to consider doing deals, in part because they're seeing something that they've been looking at for some time at a price they feel is become uh, relatively cheap. Uh, again, it doesn't mean these are going to get to the finish line, but antitrust is a gating issue has faded a bit, at least in the conversations that I'm having with bankers who are surprised to see a letter sent, for example, saying, hey, we're kind of interested. Would you get together? Again, it doesn't mean that those deals are going to ever get to the finish line based on whether you can negotiate a price. And, of course, regulatory is still a very significant issue. That's interesting. Speaking of banking, um, uh, RBC with a note on Deutsche today, uh, basically arguing that the restructuring is not getting a lot of, enough credit from investors. A wire story about Deutsche beefing up their investment banking operations in Asia. And Jim, uh, Jim, David, I know you've been watching Credit Suisse new intraday low today after your reporting earlier. In the yeah, week. that was uh, that was on Wednesday, you know, and again, they completed the four billion, uh, you know, Swiss franc offering uh, of shares to help to bolster the balance sheet of Credit Suisse. But the question that we've continued to we've had and, I, and when I say we, I'm reflecting what I'm hearing from many people in the marketplace is simply whether it's going to be enough, because as I'd reported on Wednesday, that outflow of assets, particularly from wealth management, where it was centered, was surprising um, to even executives, I believe, at CS in terms of the fact of the, the numbers, which were about 85 billion overall out, um, remember, uh, as much as 10, 6 percent at wealth management uh, and the fact that it didn't stop. And so what appeared to be, you know, an offering that was going to actually be used in part to uh, add to capital, help initiatives that were going to be underway, retention packages may now only be enough to sort of keep the, the, um, the rating agencies happy to maintain an investment grade rating, but not enough to do those other things. What that means is we expect that there might be more behind it, Carl. And that would obviously be even more dilution for a company that has about a $9 billion market value right now. Wow. As we pointed out, five last five quarters of losses equal the current market cap. Uh, yeah. How, uh, outflows, 84 billion francs mm -hmm. in the first six weeks of the quarter. Yep. Uh, a lot of uh, reporting suggests maybe uh, UBS and Morgan Stanley. Get, get some of that, get some of that share or at least that interest. Yeah. I mean, the question is where it's gone. What's what's what is another question, though, is even if the worst were to occur here, uh, there is nobody who believes that the Swiss government is going to let this thing go bad. 
they're going to force it somehow to either, you know, they'll bail it out, force it into UBS, who knows? And again, that's conjecture at this point. I want to make that clear. But, uh, but it does go to the question as to why you'd be worried about your assets being housed there if, in fact, almost everybody agrees they won't let this thing go. All right. Well, for more on markets more broadly, we are joined by Oppenheimer Asset Management Chief Investment Strategist John Stoltzfus. John, great to have you on this Black Friday. Uh, let's start a little bit. I mean, it's kind of a middling day for the major averages, as to be expected on this holiday-shortened trading day. But in general, your thought on where we are when you do have the S&P closing uh, earlier this week for several straight sessions uh, above 4,000 again. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Morgan. Great, great to be on CNBC. Uh, I've got to say, you know, we're ending a, a year that has really been an honest oribilis for uh both uh, bears and bulls at different points, with the bears having the overall upper hand. Uh, but we see here a, a, a nice rally that has really come in since October 12th, with the S&P 500 up about uh, just under 13% from that. And it includes uh, leading sectors of materials, industrials, financials, and utilities, okay? Uh, so you look at that, it, it's a spread, you've got some value, you've got some uh, uh, growthier value as well as defensives and cyclicals. It looks like investors are coming back into this thing, uh, so we think it, it likely holds. Our target for the end of this year that we put in in the fourth quarter, an adjusted fourth quarter, the, uh, adjusted target, was uh, 4,000. We're a little bit above it, we think it'll likely be exceeded. So what are you expecting come 2023? Because we keep hearing about this potential for an earnings recession. There's obviously the questions about an economic recession. Where do we go from here? What does that mean in terms of your price target looking to next year? Uh, well, you know, we probably won't put in our price target in, until we're, we're into December, probably about midway. But from where we stand right now, we think the market, uh, the equity market is, is, is fairly well uh, priced in a recession earlier on, then it's deciding that there, there may not be a recession. And the bond market looks like it's sort of caught in between, you know. Uh, so we would have to say, uh, with, with part of it looking like at the short end of the curve, Fed continues to hike, and then the 10-year having come off its high, uh, with the two years, it looked like the two-year was at about uh, four and a half, I, I think, the last time I looked this morning. Uh, so where we're standing right now is that it's a mix and match in terms of opinions, but we think things are getting better. We're actually headed out of the woods, but we're not out of the woods yet. It looks to us like if you want to own consumer discretionary, if you want to own technology, two of the worst performing sectors this year, although not uh, much better performers when it comes uh, in terms of technology since the October 12th low. Uh, and then uh, looking at things like financials and industrials look particularly good to us with materials and energy likely to still do well, though we don't think energy will do as well as it did this year. It's the only sector up almost 60 percent of the year. Hey, John, do you think I mean, there's there's been some technical work uh, trying to game out the the notion that we're actually now in year one of a new bull. Uh, and looking at historically what that what returns in that environment have uh, have meant. That's obviously uh, really leaning on the idea that we will get a soft landing. But how much does that resonate with you? Yeah, it, it resonates uh, fairly well. Uh, we are intermediate to longer term investors, so we don't 
uh, count as heavily on technical analysis as other as traders might. Uh, but we will say this: uh, uh, we we tend to agree with the technical analysts here, uh, and we do think it's very possible. We think we were in uh, you know in a bear market within a secular. A bull market that is driven primarily uh, by things like technology and globalization, neither of which is going away, even as the uh, global supply chain is diversified away from one country's centricity, you know, away from China and other countries. We'll still be global and we'll still have technology. They're both counterinflationary, uh, uh, longer term trends. So it, it looks good to us. So, John, final question for you here. I mean, we're just talking a little bit about Credit Suisse, whether it's Credit Suisse, whether it's what happened with the LDIs and the pension funds in the UK, whether it's FTX and everything that's playing out in the cryptocurrency market right now, all very different situations mm -hmm. with their own specific stories, just to be clear. But all of them happening because we've had this world that's awash in stimulus and liquidity, and now you have the Fed and other central banks tightening and pulling all that liquidity back out of the system. Are there certain areas when you look across markets right now that you see as pain points and that you'd be steering clear of or you'd be wary of right now? Yeah, it would certainly be at this point, we'd be, uh, we, we wouldn't be uh, aggressive on, on European banks at this, at this point. Uh, when it comes to Europe, we'd be, we'd be more looking towards exporters that could benefit uh, from uh, a sustainable economic recovery stateside. This is the end of free money, is what we're seeing from the, uh, from the uh, Federal Reserve as well as from other central banks around the world. It's bad for highly leveraged players, but it's actually healthy for the overall global economy, we believe, as well as for the equity markets and even the bond market, where for once, bond issuers are beginning to pay for the privilege of borrowing money and bond buyers are getting something back in terms of protection to a certain degree, uh, uh, you know, against inflation, callability of bonds and credit risk. Yeah, we knew uh, that era of negative yield uh, debt. Well, that was not healthy either. <laughs> so we're trying uh, to find something it, it, more in the, in the realm of the normal. John, I appreciate you coming on on a Black Friday uh, very much. Great to see you again. Thanks, Carl. Thank, thanks, Morgan. As we go to break this morning, let's take a look at Treasuries. Speaking of which, we do have most of the curve uh, up a little bit. But the two-year down just a touch south of uh, four and a half. As we said, uh, markets there close at 2 o'clock e uh, Eastern time. Yields currently, as you can see, we're back in a moment. Oil markets had a lot to balance uh, last few sessions, the potential for a Russian uh, price cap, obviously the China lockdowns regarding COVID, these reports of OPEC production shifts. Uh, but we have cracked uh, below 80 earlier in the week and have stayed there even despite the move higher today, about 78.50 on uh, West Texas. We'll take a break and be right back. Don't go away. As holiday shopping kicks off, 166 million people are expected to shop over the long weekend. That's according to the National Retail Federation. Cowan has a note this morning detailing which retailers stand to gain this holiday season. Joining us this morning is Cowan's retail analyst, Oliver Chen. Oliver, happy Thanksgiving. Great to see you. Great to see you, Carl. Happy Black Friday as well. I, I wonder what you make of the week 
some of the discipline that we saw, for example, at Macy's, some of the better than expected guidance at Best Buy and Abercrombie. What do you think is going on there? There are many cross currents with the consumer. Inflation is certainly hurting the middle to lower income consumer. However, there's a tight labor market at 3.7% unemployment. There's lots of positives about the consumer too. The consumer is going out again. Inflation is negatively impacting consumer discretionary categories. Uh, we like Macy's, we like Walmart, and we like Ulta. And shoppers are back this Black Friday season. So mixed signals here, highly promotional as well. Yeah, but is it your sense that the retailers themselves got religion on inventory early enough uh, to salvage what otherwise might have been a much more difficult environment? Well, retailers are working hard to work through inventory now. So there is still too much inventory in the marketplace. What they've done is guided gross margins lower and there's lots of planned promotions. So what's happening and what we're seeing is a wide array of promotions at 20 to 40% off and they're widely available. So inventory levels are negative and they still need to be worked through uh, depending on what category. So Oliver, the fact that we, we were talking about it a little bit earlier in the show, but there tends to be this seasonal trade that takes place where retail stocks move higher coming into this time of year. We're seeing it now. I mean, just looking at the XRT retail ETF, for example, uh, is there still, is that, is, that, is that still a situation where investors can jump in and trade right now, at least in the near term, or maybe steer clear because there is some uncertainty? Yeah, Morgan, I think you really have to be cautiously optimistic and pretty selective in what you're thinking about. What we like is recommending retailers that are, have inflation resistance, such as luxury goods stocks, such as retailers like Costco, which offer exceptional value. What we're still seeing is a pressured middle to low income consumer, and inflation is going to be a big negative for the next few months at least. So it's a mixed picture. Yeah, Oliver, it's David. What's the unifying theme then in terms of your recommendation of Walmart, Ulta, uh, and uh, Macy's? Yeah, I would say all three offer very strong values to the consumer. At Walmart, you have a consumer staples piece, 50% plus grocery. Ulta is a beauty retailer, all things beauty, all in one place. That's a very good category. And Macy's has done a very good job across a diverse portfolio. All three are offering great gifting assortments as well, and they have very clean inventories coming into a tough situation. What do you think um, early next year looks like? I mean, if Terry Lundgren, who was on this morning, is right, and a lot of that excess savings gets worked down by, say, next summer, as some analysts project, uh, what does the retail sales picture look like then? I think that we're going to watch these inventory levels. January will be a telling month in terms of how much clearance there will be. Uh, but retailers are really calibrating to be as clean as possible for next year. So we're optimistic that things can get better. However, uh, the savings rate, savings dollar, savings percentage are something to watch. Also rising credit usage. Uh, these are all things we're thinking about. Hopefully the interest rate environment gets more favorable. That will have an impact too in terms of how the overall economy looks. Unfortunately, a consumer confidence, that barometer is negative. So there are positives and negatives in terms of what we're seeing. But people being back in stores is very exciting to see. And retailers really thinking about giving promotions to customers in an easy way. That's a positive too. And people are going out again. They're traveling. They're wanting fashion. They're wanting to uh, look very uh, great for parties, et cetera. That's positive as well. 
Oliver, appreciate that. Great to see you as we see some pictures there of shoppers and stores, as you said. Oliver Chen. When we come back, we'll take a closer look at Apple uh, facing some challenges as it looks to capitalize on the holiday season. A big laggard on the Dow today. Don't go away. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.